message is covenant, which is one of those wonderful words that I think we throw around the church all the time, and it means a thousand different things to a thousand different people. So I'm going to zero in on a few very specific points and issues about covenant. We're going to talk a little bit about Moses and the tabernacle, part and parcel of this covenant and dwelling place of God. Then we're going to talk about, oh, what's his name? David and the temple and the covenant there and what that's all about. And then we're going to warp it into the New Testament and talk a little bit about how we apply that or how that works once we get into our more familiar, more comfortable place of the New Testament. But because we're talking about Old Testament, I think a lot of us maybe lack the familiarity of how God works or how the Old Testament stuff goes on. Um, so I want to think or talk or share with you all a little bit about that first. Uh, again, because we tend to be much more New Testament in our thoughts, in our minds. We have Christ. We understand he already showed up. The Holy Spirit has showed up. That's all kind of our world. Well, the whole Trinity was always around, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're talking Old Testament, so Jesus hadn't walked the earth yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't come at Pentecost yet. So God was very directly involved, God the Father. Very active, very tangible, doing stuff. And the Old Testament, especially where I'm going to be, which is the Pentateuch, the first five books, and then up into 2 Samuel, it was ugly. It was nasty, rough, brutal kind of stuff. It really was, right? I mean, you had God, quite literally, according to the word anyway, turning people into pillars of salt. You had God just, boom, taking people out. And this is uncomfortable, um, and it's not politically correct, and it's ugly, but if you think about it, you had God commanding, orchestrating, enabling what amounts to genocide. He said, go to the promised land and just wipe those people out. I don't want them to taint you. So it was bad stuff going on, you know? I mean, if you want good good reading, next time you're tempted to pick up a Baldacci or a Danielle Steele, don't. Pick up the Old Testament and read some of this stuff. It's incredible. And if you look around now at what's going on in the world, it's starting to feel kind of Old Testament around here, you know? What happened to the love and all the good stuff that we get when, when, when Christ shows up? So it's an interesting time and an interesting place for us to spend a little bit of, I guess, energy this morning and next week especially this morning, though, thinking Old Testament, talking Old Testament, and dealing with covenant. Most important of all, I think, as I think Old Testament, and I think about all the struggles I go through today, and all the junk I see in the world today, really, really important to step back and say, thank God you're God and I'm not. Because you know what? I can't figure this stuff out. You can't figure this stuff out. It's ugly, it's nasty, it's messy. It makes no sense whatsoever. So frame it that way. Thank God God is God and understand that he works in, in dimensions and realms and stuff that, that we can't even comprehend because we're limited to time and space. So keep that in mind, please. And I think I want to pray and then I want to get into probably the Cliff Notes cheat sheet of the sermon, and then take it from there. So let's, let's pause for a moment and pray. Father, thank you that your word is what it is, that it's you, that it's alive, uh, that end to end, it's about Jesus Christ. 
And thank you, God, that, that you are the Father, you are the Son, you are the Holy Spirit, and you're everything, and you're in control, and you're love. Lord, I pray that the effort I put into this message will be all you and none of me, and that, Lord, this time will be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go into covenant. We're going to go into, um, what's their names there? Mo and Dave. Here's the cliff notes, the cheat sheet, and I'm, I'm going to ask that you put that first uh, slide there up for us. When I talk about covenant, I'm talking about relationship. There's a whole bazillion different things on covenant. This is what covenant I'm talking about, and what I mean when I say covenant. It is God's promises, God's relationship to us. So if you take nothing else away from this morning, take this overly simplified, sometimes controversial to some people, and sometimes want to fight with that and argue with that about it kind of stuff, take this home and, and remember it. God's covenant promise, as he thinks relationship and loves us, comes down to this. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the tabernacle and the temple and the dwelling place of God become incredibly important because that's where we connect with this. Right? It is where, as it says, us dimensionally limited folks encounter God, relate to God, and live in that covenant promise of him being God and us being us. And don't try to do his job. So, let's go ahead and look at some Old Testament. I'm going to start with Moses. And in order to start with Moses, I have to cheat and start with Abraham. Because the first thing that we have all the way at the beginning of the book in Genesis 12 is Abraham being called directly again. Jesus hasn't walked around yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. God says, yo, Abe, go, right? You know that part of the story. And Abe's response is not what, where, why, how, give me directions, give me a map. It's okay, right? So immediately in Genesis, we get a first great promise from God to Abraham saying, I will make you, what does it say? Genesis 12, 2. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And you can read the rest of the Abraham stuff, but understand this is the start of us being the chosen people of God. It's why we sing, Father Abraham had many sons into the arms and the legs and the stuff like that with the kids. Um, so our roots are Jewish. Never lose that as spiritual people. Uh, and it's through Abraham. But we're people. Part of God's expectation in this, I'm going to be a, a bless you and, and build a great nation, is that we're going to be obedient. We're going to allow him to lead that great nation. And we ain't so great at that. And even back then, the people weren't so great at that, right? That's why we end up in Egypt building pyramids and stuff and, and getting uh, oppressed, repressed, suppressed, I guess is what you'd say. But that gets you to the exodus, right? Uh, and it gets to the, the release of the people from Egypt to, to begin the process of securing the promised land that was talked about um, throughout uh, in the early scriptures. But even that didn't work right, right? It didn't work well. The Red Sea parts, the people cross the Red Sea, and it's all peaches and creams. We go to the promised land and life's great. Yes? Not quite. Thank you, my friend. And thank you for that worship set. It was, it was really good to set up this message. Um, the people screwed it up. That's what we do, even back then. One of Dennis's things, right, is their story is our story, our story is their story. Very, very true. 
they rebelled. As soon as they crossed the Red Sea, the people rebel against Moses. There's fighting, and that leads to the wandering in the desert, manna, quail, all this stuff. We can't take it. It's too, we can't take the promised land, Jericho, all this stuff. It's too fortified. It's too scary. But what you get here is the Mosaic Covenant. You get into Exodus, the middle of the book, 19 to 34. Big chunk of scripture, chapters 19 to 34. You get Mount Sinai. You get the giving of the law. And you get the Mosaic Covenant. So if you'd put that slide up, you probably already did, right? How about that? So you get this little ditty. God's, again, directly involved talking to Moses. He says, hey, Mo, you know that deal I made about making you a great nation? You know, I talked to Abraham. You guys are messing it up. And Moses essentially responds, yup, right? You're right, God. But this is what I love. The covenant itself is that verse, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Um, if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you're going to be the treasured possession. Even though the earth is mine, you're going to be my kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Very important. Very important. If, uh, when you're talking about covenants, this is what's called a conditional covenant. People, if you're going to obey, I'm going to hook you up. Do people ever obey? Are we capable? We are not. So God knows we can't do that. But he provides. This is where we get the law. That's why Sinai happened. Um, these are the specific do's and don'ts. But we also get, uh, the, I think, the important thing, which is 25, 8, and 9, which I think is up here, yes? Yes. He says, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle. And I'll stop there in that passage and say this is where it all goes down. The law is given. God knows we can't uphold the law. The tabernacle becomes the tent of meeting. It is the, the physical place that, that us, with our constraints of dimension and all that time and space, can actually be with God. It's the smoke by day and the fire by night. It's God is actually there if, if you're thinking about what is going on. How do I follow this law? What else happens there? Well, a lot of blood, a lot of stink, a lot of nastiness, because this is where your Levites and your priests are making atonement for our inability, the people's inability, to uphold the law. It is where that if is protected, it is preserved through tabernacle, sacrificial system. Um, very, very important stuff. Uh, if you read the rest of Exodus and you got into numbers, and I'm sorry, I'm sweating, Woo, hot. Um, you'll see throughout Exodus and Numbers, the tabernacle is where a lot of stuff is going on. It's where the people are being with God. It's where the sacrificial system is upheld. It's also important uh, if we think with our New Testament Christian minds, because we have a few concepts and a few things that we think about. For example, the Roman road to salvation, a lot of people know, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God from Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death from Romans 6.23. All that stuff. Think about the tabernacle. The tabernacle is, is where people say, yes, we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God, essentially in our language, our mindset. And that sacrificial system, the blood and the stink and the yuck, 
is exactly how they pay the wages of the sin. It all goes down at the tabernacle. So our concepts of some of the stuff we get in our New Testament theology go right back to that same Old Testament mindset and that law. We can't do it. God asks us to do things. In the case of this early covenant, right, with Moses, he says, only if you do these things will I be your God. We can't. We need a way to solve the problem. In the Old Testament, it started with the tabernacle, and then it advanced into David. So we're going to move ahead, and I'm going to tell you, it's probably a little bit disturbing to some people, but I'm going to suggest that 2 Samuel 7 is the most important, and, you know, Samuel's way, way early Old Testament, right? No Jesus, no Holy Spirit, no nothing yet, just God. I'm going to suggest that 2 Samuel 7 is probably the most important part of the gospel with a capital G, New Testament good news, 2 Samuel 7, most important part of the gospel other than Christ himself. Um, so rather than me explain that, I want to put it up on the screen so you can follow along, and I'm just going to read you the first half of 2 Samuel 7, and hopefully you'll begin to understand why. You can't read that. It's too small. That's fine. Here's what it says. After the king was settled, and this, so this is David's stuff, after the king, meaning David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan, being a good subject, friend, confidant, says, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. The Lord is with you. But that night, here's that activist God again, that night the Lord came to Nathan and said, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelt? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, whenever, wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over all my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning, and have done ever since I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies." And it's a long passage, but it's important. Especially when we get to this. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your successor, ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Important, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So, of course, this is David. This is the beginnings of his son Solomon's building the temple in Jerusalem. It is establishing, uh, again, no more tabernacle, but the dwelling place of God is going to be the temple. All of the atonement, all of the sacrifice, the priests, the Levites, temple, Jerusalem, I'm from Boston, wicked important. So, 
It's Solomon that builds the temple. The temple is now the dwelling place of God. The sacrificial system of Judaism is, is fulfilled or maintained. And you see Jerusalem and the temple rising and falling in this cycle. You saw it with the tabernacle. You'll see it with the temple. As the people behave and obey and, and uphold the if and be God's people, he blesses and things flourish. As they deny God or walk away from the, the deal, they get beat up. That's just the way it goes. Um, and it keeps going that way. And our focus in the Old Testament, once we have the temple, is the temple in Jerusalem. Very important. In the covenant we have here, remember the Moses covenant was, if you'll be my God, I'll be your people. This one essentially takes that if away, and it says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. It gets to that little covenant 101 slide. We go from a conditional covenant with Moses, people, you've got to do something, to the Davidic covenant, which says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And we're going to take care of that all through the sacrificial order and the temple. I'm done with this impossibility of you guys uh, keeping up your end of the deal. So, that's the focus. And then what happens? We have hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't even know the dates. A lot of years go by, and everything's all about the temple and the Davidic covenant, and the ancestor Solomon, uh, David's ancestor Solomon built that temple. Then along comes another one of David's ancestors. Who could that be? None other than Jesus Christ. And we still can't uphold the law. We can't do it. So we're still cutting animals constantly, sacrifice, blood, guts, nasty, ugly, ugh, temple. Along comes Jesus Christ, the lamb, the sacrifice. Right? Once and for all. Temple no longer required. Jesus Christ, perfect. Sacrifice, flogged by men, hung on the cross. One of the last words Jesus said on the cross, very important word, tetelestai, it is finished. The it he's referring to is all that stuff with needing the sacrificial system and the temple and all that nonsense, which isn't nonsense, sorry, uh, is finished. Because once and for all, Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law, has become the access, the focal point, the new covenant is Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick that up next week, and we're going to talk about how Jesus was God on earth instead of this distant God the Father kind of doing his cosmic thing. We saw him. We touched him. He was here. He died on the cross. He fulfilled the law. He sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit, next week we'll learn, is the dwelling place of God. No. You are the dwelling place of God because of the Holy Spirit. So we'll talk about that next week. As we wrap it up, though, with that transition, I want to ask a couple questions to think about. Understanding a little bit about this covenant stuff and how it all comes down to Christ, do you have the Holy Spirit? You, personally. Do you have Jesus Christ? Do you have the unconditional love, the unconditional covenant? Are you the dwelling place of God? Really important things to think about. And if you are, even more practically and more tangibly, what's dragging you down? What junk are you holding on to? What problems are you trying to solve? What stuff that's God's job are you trying to do? Label it. Put a finger on it. Call it what it is. Let it go. That's what Jesus died for. He loves you, 
As Dave said last week, if you have him, you don't need to fear anything. God sees Jesus when he sees you. So stop trying to do his job. So think about whether you have the Holy Spirit. Think about whether you have Jesus Christ. Think about what's dragging you down. Gear up for next Sunday. And in the meantime, after service, as always, I'll be up at the cross if you'd like to talk. Elder will be at the cross. We only have one in the house today. And some of the men and women are, are more than happy uh, to pray with you or talk uh, about any of this stuff. So let's pray. Father God, thank you that you're the God of promise, the God of covenant. Thank you that uh, this covenant, this promise, this love is accessible so, so easily to each one of us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for Christ's perfection. Thank you for the third person of the Trinity who becomes resident in me, resident in each Christian, so that I am the dwelling place of God. What an unbelievable, unfathomable, awesome thing. Thank you, Father, for all that you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.